Psalm 103, verse, um, the, the entire psalm really, and I'll be referring to it, but I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your strength, your youth is renewed like the eagle. There are many wonderful promises in God's Word that God has made, given us. Um, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the ages. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. My grace is sufficient for you. God makes all things work together for them that love God and are called according to His purpose. But I suppose that the apex of the promises of God is John 10.10. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. The promise that one can live abundantly. That's an impressive promise. But the most impressive thing to me is that most Christians do not live abundantly. I know more people who live the redundant life than I know who live the abundant life. And I must confess my own inconsistency in living abundantly, living victoriously. It is so easy to lose the glow and the zeal and the spark. It is so easy to lose that enthusiasm which so characterizes abundant living. The psalmist has found the secret of abundant life. Now this psalm that I've read is different from most all other psalms. In most other psalms there is a person crying out in agony for help, not this one. In most all the other psalms there is some complaint about God or others or self, not this psalm. This is the psalm of a man who has learned the secret of abundance the secret of the abundant life. Now I believe that there are three factors that factor into abundant living. First of all, those who have found abundant life are those whose spirit is dominated by praise. It seems to me that the people who are able to live their life on just a little higher level or a little higher plane than the rest of us are the people whose lives are dominated by praise. Now this is not circumstantial praise. It's not, you know, things are going great, so I'm just going to praise the Lord. I'm having such a good time. It's not something external. It's all that is within me. So that it is praise that comes not on the basis of some external circumstance, but on the basis of what is within. I think there are two reasons why. His life is dominated by praise. That is, the person living the abundant life. He praises God for what God is. 
that this praise is motivated and inspired by the nature and the character of God himself. So that a person praises God for what God is. Now how are you going to praise God for what he is if you don't know God? I think I've seen, I think I've noticed that the people who praise the Lord are the people who trust him. The people of faith, the people who live the trusting life, and the people who have come to be able to trust the Lord are the people who know him. It's easy to trust the Lord if you know him. I mean, I spent an entire sermon a couple of weeks ago talking about the fact that Faith is really a human response to a divine revelation that when a person really gets to know what God is, then he trusts him. And the people who trust him are the people who are praising him. Now, trusting God or faith is not, you know, taking a chance on God. How many times have you heard faith described like that? Well, faith is taking a chance on God. It'd be like you coming in this morning and the usher said, let's go down and I'm going to usher you down to pew three and let you take a chance on that pew. And he brings you down to pew three and he ushers you there and just as he turns around to leave, he kind of whispers under his breath, good luck. You know, I mean, not many of you are going to put your whole weight down on pew three. Faith is not taking a chance on God. In fact, I heard a missionary say that he was trying to translate the New Testament into the language and dialect of this group he was trying to minister to out in Indonesia, and they didn't have a word in their vocabulary for faith. And as he tried to work through that, he finally came to the conclusion, the best way to translate faith is, to, is this, to lean your whole weight upon Trust your whole weight to. So that faith is the trusting of one's whole self in submission to God. And the way he comes to trust him is that he begins to know him and, and, and learn of him. So that when he's knowing him, he's trusting him. And when he's trusting him, he's praising him. And not only does he praise God for what God is, he praises God for what God does. And he says, let not, you know, us don't forget any of his benefits. Now it seems to me that the central issue this morning is coming to understand what God is. For when I come to understand what God is, it doesn't matter so much to me what God does. Because if I understand what God is, I understand that everything that happens to me either permitted by God or caused to happen by God is going to be for my good because I understand that that's the way God is. The real issue this morning is not, you know, why what is happening in the, in the world is what is happening in the world. The real issue this morning is not getting you another book to try to find out why good people suffer. That's not the real issue. The real issue this morning is what is God like? And when I discover what God is like, I know that whatever God does is okay because God would never allow or permit anything to happen that was not ultimately for my good. That's just the way He is. The life that is abundant and living is the spirit that is dominated by praise. It's the praise of who God is. And when we discover that, we know that what He does is all right. Secondly, 
The abundant life is the life that has experienced the healing of God. Now he says he heals all of our diseases. That word heal there is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It means to make whole, to bring wholeness into life. And I believe that there are three ways in which God wants to bring wholeness to life, wants to heal us. He wants to heal us spiritually. And that's the greatest healing that can occur. As a matter of fact, there is no real healing that occurs that where there has not been spiritual healing. He wants to heal us of our spiritual illness. He wants to restore that which has been lost in the fall. Now when God put the first Adam on earth, He, he placed him here in order that he might be an extension of his presence because God couldn't be on, in heaven and on earth at the same time. And he wanted Adam to be an expression of his personality and an example of his power. But Adam sinned and he lost that. He lost that valued and treasured position. And so God sent the second Adam. His name was Jesus. An extension of his presence, an expression of his personality, an exhibit of his power so that through Jesus Christ, God could restore us to what has been lost in, in the fall. God could return us to all that we have, been, that we have lost in, in sin, lost in the fall. He wants to heal you spiritually, and He wants you to experience pardon from all your sin. When the man was let down through the roof and by, the, by his friends and interrupted the sermon of Jesus... Jesus looked at the man and he didn't say, Sir, your your paralysis has been healed. He looked at him and he said, Your sin has been forgiven. Charles Allen said that that a physician told him one time, half the people who come to him for, for medical care don't really need medical care. They just need to be forgiven of their sins so that God wants to heal your spiritual illness. And God heals physically too. Now I think there's been a great deal of misunderstanding about about healing. When he says that he heals all of your diseases, doesn't mean that God will heal every illness that everybody has. I believe some illnesses are in order that a person can die and go to be with God. What he means by this is that every healing of every illness is from God. Now he may heal from, through some uh, physician and he may come and heal miraculously by the touch of his own spirit, but every healing comes from God and God wants us to be healed physical illness. Emily Neal, Emily Neal writes, miraculous healing reminiscent of the New Testament, is occurring in every church, in every denomination all over the United States. These are the results of the revival of one of the church's oldest ministries, the ministry of the healing of the body as well as the soul. I'm here to give testimony this morning to the fact that God heals physical illness. And He's not abdicated that that power to do it. And somewhere between our sins and our illnesses physically, there is this vast space 
that God, where, where, where God heals our emotions. The Bible refers to it as infirmities. And I'm convinced that there are some who need to be healed spiritually, and there are those who need to be healed physically. But a great majority of people are people who need the healing of their, of their emotions. And I remember that, 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 that Jesus met this woman who had been bent over and she couldn't raise her, herself. She couldn't raise her head for 14 years. She was bent over and Jesus healed her. The Bible says he healed her of her infirmities. And there's a different word that he uses there. And he must be referring to the fact that he healed an emotional illness that enabled her, that, that caused her to be unable to lift her head for 14 years. He healed her emotions. I heard the story one time of a little boy's who had to wear braces on his legs. And his father took him to church and they were having some kind of a special kind of service and this preacher was preaching who was supposed to have had power to heal people. And during this, the time when the preacher called for people to come forward for healing, the father took his little boy down there with the crutches, with the, with the braces on his legs and, and he prayed for healing. When they got back to, the, to, the, to their pew, the little boy turned and whispered to his father. He said, Dad, I've been healed. And the father said, praise the Lord, wonderful. He said, let's take off the braces. And the little boy said, no, I'll have to wear my braces. The Lord has taken the braces off my mind. God heals that emotion that... that that, it, that the Bible refers to as infirmities. 1,500 doctors were asked, how many people were brought to you with a medical problem that could medically be, be, be treated medically? How many people came to you with a physical problem that needed medical treatment? How many do you suppose those doctors answered? Would you say 50%? Would you say 30%? Try 2%. Seems like a low number, doesn't it? 1,500 doctors said that the people who came to them for treatment, only 2% of them really had a medically treatable problem. Most of them had an emotional need that needed to be healed. The wonder of this is, is that God brings wholeness and He heals physically and spiritually and emotionally. David Seaman has a marvelous book called The Healing of Damaged Emotions. He said, you can go out to California and see those great giant sequoia trees and you take a cross cut from those trees and, and they're those rings that kind of give the history of the development of those trees, the environment in which the tree developed. He said, it's kind of like an autobiography of the tree. Here's a ring that indicates that this was a year of terrible drought. And here's a ring that indicates maybe there's too much moisture, too much rain. He said, then, then there's a ring that indicates that this was a year of, that, that this tree was struck by lightning, says David Seaman. Now in a few minutes beneath the bark and the veneer of our lives, 
you can find, the, you can trace the environmental development of the human psyche, the human personality. Kind of an autobiography in the, in the emotion of one's life. Here, here's, here's a life that has experienced abuse. Or here's, a, here's, a, here's a person whose, whose brother sexually abused her. Here, here's, a, here's a person who one time in his life threw off all of these values that he had, he had followed and, and, and established and, and made some mistakes. And you can just kind of see the emotional, the emotional autobiography beneath the veneer that's there. It's there that God brings healing. So the person who's experienced the abundant life is that person who has come to God for spiritual healing. He's found forgiveness of his sin and God's marvelous love has interceded to heal those emotions so that he feels good about himself and he experiences physical healing. The person who lives the abundant life finally is the life that is, that is dominated or liberated by God's love. I want you to take your Bible now and follow with me, beginning at verse 11. You ever noticed how the difference that love makes? Have you, have you ever noticed how changed a person is who, who comes to, to experience love, who, who feels loved? That, that, that's such a liberating thing to, to experience love. Now some of us grew up in a, in a situation where we felt like that our love had to be achieved or earned. And so we, you know, it was conditioned upon performance. And some people, it may, not, it, it may not have been that way, but we thought that, we felt that way, that that in order to be accepted and loved, I've got to perform, I've got to achieve. And so we, we, we spend our life trying to, to gain somebody's affection, to achieve somebody's acceptance, to earn their love. And there's this linkage between performance and feeling loved with some of you. I read a terrible article in the Dallas Morning News not long ago and I told my wife, I said, you read this and see if, if you know, is, this is unbelievable. It was the story of this young athlete who, who grew up in a home. His father literally abused him if he didn't succeed as an athlete. And so if he made an errant pass in a basketball game that cost him a, a game, his father wouldn't speak to him for days, sometimes literally beat him for it. And, and if he didn't you know, achieve success or you know, if he played in a basketball game and he, he, he missed a key free throw, his father would bring him home and, and make him walk home and he would beat him when he got home. And this, the whole article was about this boy who hated his father and he... He, he was resentful of, of athletics because it was all linked, you know, his father's love and acceptance was linked to his performance. Now, if you grew up in a situation where you felt like that you had to do something to earn somebody's love, and you're going to have a hard time understanding the love of God. 
Because His love is totally unconditional. And there is no linkage whatsoever between performance and His love. Because God loves you, not because of what you are. He loves you for what He is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and fruit is the natural result of the nature of the tree itself. So it is, it is natural for God to love. That's His nature. And it's not linked to performance. I'm going to say something that's absolutely going to astound you. It may not win me any points with you, but it's, it's, it's essentially profoundly true that God loves Saddam Hussein as much as he loves us. Profound but true. Because the love of God is not linked to goodness or performance. It's on the basis of His nature. Now, I want to show you three things about His love. First of all, it's limitless. Look at verse 11. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. Now, how high are the heavens above the earth? Nobody knows. You, you, you study the stars and one year you think you found the last, the farthest star. The next week you find out there's another beyond it. I don't know how far the farthest star is. I know how close the nearest one is. I remember my teacher telling me, he said, now if you could reduce, make a scale so that an inch is a million miles. An inch is a million miles. A foot would be 12 million miles. Am I correct? Is that correct? A foot is like this distance on a scale is 12 million miles. Said the teacher, how far on the basis of that scale do you think it is to the nearest star in the heavens, not counting the sun? How far? A hundred miles? About the distance about the distance of Dallas to El Paso on the basis of that scale. Now, if you see the light shining from the nearest star, traveling at 186,000 miles per second, that means that light can circle the earth, circle the globe, seven and a half times in one second. The light flickering from the nearest star, you know how long it would take you, to, how long it take that light to get to you, traveling at that speed? seven and a half times around the earth in one second, it would take you four and a half years. It takes it four and a half years to get to you. I don't think, though, that's what the psalmist is saying. I think the psalmist is saying that if you can imagine the greatest distance in the world, limitless, that's the love of God. As far as the east is from the west, Limitless. It means that there is no limit to which God would go in order to bless you and make you whole. But His love not only is limitless, it's personal. Now I don't know how far it is to the farthest star, neither do you. I have no way even to conceptualize that. I have absolutely no way to understand that. Do you? I don't know how far it is 
to the nearest star, the farthest star, but I do know something about the love of a father for his children. And he says, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He's saying not only is the love of God limitless, it's personal. You remember the first time you ever laid eyes on your child, your baby? There's instant love. Now I've looked through glass windows at other people's babies, ugliest things I've ever seen. And, you know, I, I've, I've, I've stood by fathers who looked through glass windows and looked at babies. And, I, and I've babysit some. I don't enjoy that, but I have babysit some with other people's kids. I'm telling you, it's not the same as your own. And when I looked in through that glass at my firstborn child and my children, immediately there is love. And you don't have to be a father to understand that. If you have a father or a mother, you understand that. It's, there's something that goes on there that's, that's not like distances to stars. It's personal and intimate. And what the psalmist is saying is that God loves you with a love that's intimate. And it's endless. Verse 17 says, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Now occasionally, not often, but occasionally somebody will come into my office and they'll say, Pastor, can you help me? My husband came in today and said, he no longer loves me. My, Pastor, can you help me? My wife tells me that she doesn't love me anymore and probably never has. Can you, can you help me? And occasionally, not often, but occasionally, someone will say, Pastor, it's been like this for years. One day he says he does, the next day he says he doesn't. One time he says he loves me, the next time he says he doesn't. I wish he could make up his mind. I just don't know if I can take this any longer, not really knowing if he does love me or if he doesn't. You know what this means? It means you don't have to get up in the morning wondering if God still loves you. And Paul must have known something about Psalm 103 when he said, There is nothing that separates us from the love of God, not height, nor depth, nor angels, or principalities, or powers, or things present, or things to come. For the love of God is endless, infinite, eternal, unconditional. Now it seems to me that the person who lives the abundant life is the person whose life is dominated by the praise that comes when he knows the Lord. And he knows Him and he trusts Him. And it's the life that has experienced this miracle of healing that goes beneath to the depths of man's need. 
and flourishes in a love that's endless and eternal, intimate, and limitless. You know what that means? It means there's no reason why you can't live abundantly. For that love is offered and that healing is offered to you. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'll help us today in the miracle of your love. Find an abundant life. For I pray in Jesus' name.